Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Creeps, cults, ghosts, guys named Jerry. This is your one-stop shop. If you like all that weird shit, join me. I'm Casey Balsham. I'm a comedian and I am fascinated by dark, twisty, and shady ass shit. On the Shady Shit Podcast, we're going to cover all the topics ranging from living in a haunted house to dating app scammers to Lizzie Borden and everything in between. Every Friday, I'm going to break down well-known and little-known stories that are sure to induce just a bit of discomfort. I am so looking forward to making your weeks just a little bit weirder. I talk about being in recovery, not recovered from any of those things. I would be lying if I said that not like literally every day, there's a, a feeling of like that experience. There's like a feeling of like, oh my God, I could like, today could be the day that I relapse into like some sort of eating disorder thing. Or like today is the day that like, I'm going to be depressed. But having awareness centered around my work in therapy and knowing how to like recognize and then move through those feelings is, has been the greatest gift that I've ever given myself. Hey everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to Real Pod, everybody. I know, I know. This is an exciting one. I'm sure you saw the name. Maybe you saw the promo on the Real Pod Instagram at Real Pod, and you were like, wait, Ben Smith, aka literally America's heartthrob. We all fell in love with him on national television this past year. And yes, that is including my mom. Hi, mom. I know you're excited for this one. <laughs> and Ben captured our hearts on a show, which I shall not name for legal reasons. <laughs> But not just for his charm and obvious good looks, but for his personality, his vulnerability, and the way he wore his heart on his sleeve and opened up about his past eating disorder and mental health struggles. This episode today is so special. And if you already have a huge crush on Ben, just prepare yourself because it is sure to grow. I do want to offer up a trigger warning as Ben and I will be diving into topics such as eating disorders, depression, and suicide. So if that is sensitive for you at all, please proceed with caution. I want to give a special shout out to Annika Peter, who left a five-star review that said, best pod ever. Vic is helping me push through my intuitive eating journey and break free from restrictive eating. Thank you. Annika, it warms my heart to hear this and read this. I wanted to shout you out specifically on this episode because we will be diving into these topics again today. And I am sure they are going to have a special effect on you because Ben is just, oh my gosh, he's amazing. If you are also enjoying the show and you have yet to leave a review or rating, you can head over to iTunes. It would mean so much to me. I love your feedback. The ratings and reviews really help the show. 
And also you could be the shout out on next week's episode. One last thing, if you guys enjoy this episode today, be sure to send it to a friend, send it to a teammate, send it to someone who you think could relate or resonate to the story you're about to hear because these conversations are not easy to have. And when we reach out and we bring people in, it just makes it easier to talk about these things. Last but not least, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen so that you get that automatic download every single Wednesday when we bring you a brand new episode of RealPod. Without further ado, let's dive in to this episode with Ben Smith. Ben, I'm so excited to be sitting down with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. I actually live nearby and I know it was like a process getting in, getting in touch with you, but I was almost like, what if I just go to the gym in Venice? And I'm just like, yo, you I'm have. the girl from Instagram. That's the easiest way. And now, now there's going to be like a line out the door of people at the gym. No, but that's, I the, was that's wondering the easiest that. way. Have you had to deal with any like people tracking you down? Yeah. Like initially yeah like when i started to gain some sort of like whatever you call this thing that happened uh yeah it was weird but like i'm just a normal human so like i think uh maybe just my uh my just realness uh lends itself to people just walking up to me uh, all the time but so i like i spend most of my time in hollywood and so i live at that air one on beverly boulevard and a lot of people are there and see me there and I say hi and we like do a picture or whatever it is. And it's like really fun. And I don't know, I enjoy the whole thing. So that's good that you enjoy it. And I I can tell you're a super nice, genuine person. So I could imagine (laughs) there's not a scenario where you're not saying, Oh, and how are you? And then they take that and they roll with it for 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. But it's good. Like I, I get it that if someone like takes the time out of their day to come like say hello to me, like, I think a thing that often gets neglected is uh, people don't realize that like it's one experience for them, but I have, or like somebody who's like got actual celebrity or actual real fame, like they do those things over and over and over and over again. And so I try and like stay grounded and understand that like, it's a cool thing. Like if someone were to come up and like say hi to me, like I'm so incredibly grateful for that. So uh, I try and like approach everyone. Like it's my first time, you know, having that happen. So it's really cool. That's cool. Yeah. Not to get desensitized. And obviously everyone knows you from national television, but I want to get to know you because I Mm -hmm. think that you really used your platform to raise awareness for so many things that are not talked about and are stigmatized, especially for men. And I can't tell you how many people texted me like, are you watching? Because I sometimes I watch shows sometimes I don't yeah. and so people were like you have to see this scene you have to see this guy and what he's doing so I'm just so excited like I want your life story um if that's okay with you yeah. <laughs> so when did you realize like you wanted to be in the army was that something was that always your intention when you were heading to university no I can like start before that uh, oh I yeah know let's let's know, rewind okay. when were you born no I'm kidding <laughs> August 7th 1990 my social security number is no um, oh my god I love it okay so the stuff I shared on on that television program it was like accidental that like has a negative connotation but like I didn't expect to go onto a show and like have feelings for a person and feel compelled to share stuff that was vulnerable about myself 
Uh, I actually struggle with that or struggled with that a great deal. Therapies like pushed me into a position where I now feel comfortable divulging like things that are inherently scary. And um, just a function of that experience uh, was that I was put into a position where I felt comfortable sharing. And so I'm incredibly grateful for that, for the opportunity to like share a piece of me with not only uh, a few people, but also the world. And like, I think it's great that like now I have this opportunity to be an advocate, but before the army, I had an eating disorder as a teen. I was 15 and I was like, oh my God, girls are great, but they don't like the fat kid. And uh, I was not an overweight child. I just like didn't feel comfortable in my body. And so I just decided, I specifically remember this one girl that I had a huge crush on. She was a runner. I was like, oh shit, I'll just be a runner. I'll run all the time. I'll eat no food and I'll lose all my weight. If I'm real thin like her, she'll love me or like me or whatever it is. I was 15. Who knows what I was thinking. and then that turned into a really unhealthy relationship with food. It afforded me an opportunity to be in control of some aspect of my life. You know, I have wonderful parents, had a wonderful family growing up, but there are certain elements or aspects of my development where like I wasn't the narrator of my own story. And I think that like a lot of kids go through this, maybe their parents are like overly controlling or uh, the relationship is just fractured in, in a way that like might lead to developmental issues or, or like trauma that'll affect you later down the line, like when you're 30, like me. And so food became the mechanism for me to have control in my life. I found strength and conditioning. Uh, this leads into your earlier question about the army, but I found strength and conditioning through an incredible coach in Indianapolis where I'm from. I had a mentor and family friend who was a former soldier and I had been recruited to play golf at West Point, which is where I went to college. Uh, I reached out to him. I was like, yo, what do you know about this place? I didn't know anything about the military. My family was like, dude, fuck no, don't go to the army. That's insane. And if you know me or like anything worthwhile I've done in my life, someone has said, you can't do that or don't do that. Or like you, Ben, you shouldn't do that. And then no matter what it is, I'm going to do it because like, that's just how I am. Ben, don't go out on Friday night because you're a teenager and you can't do that well, fuck you, mom. I'm going to go do that. <laughs> and uh, so the army was much an ego driven, like I'm going to prove you wrong. And the guy that like did that for me uh, knew what he was doing. And he knew that I would respond in that way. And he knew that I would go and like be a great army officer for like lack of a better term. But while I did that, while I transitioned into the army, I assumed another role, an identity list role in similar to my family structure where I felt like I never had control over anything uh, and a way for me to like have control was to by like dictating what I consumed or didn't consume food wise. Anorexia turned into bulimia because I had like transitioned out of this. I'm running away from food thing into a, wow, I can just eat a shitload of food. I developed like a binge eating type disorder. And then what often happens is, you know, similar to alcohol or overconsumption of any kind, uh, you're unable to like do your life feed in excess to a point where you're like blacking out on food, then you have to like figure out how to solve for that problem. And for me, it just came in the form of purging. I found that the binge purge cycle was euphoric in like a weird way. I had absolute control. I was able to not only eat to excess and numb the pain or the lack of control feeling that I had in my life, but then also purge and regain my life. You can look great, feel great ish and then yeah. hide it from everybody. And so I re- rode this like wild roller coaster for like a decade 
Uh, there's like a million other things we could talk about inside of there, but uh, yeah, thanks for laying down the field. For that's me. how I got. That's how I got into the army. Uh, no, <laughs> no, I I hear you, and you said like I'm gonna get deep here, and um, yeah. you know, to give you some background on me. So I struggle with yeah. a binge eating disorder. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go BD <Yeah>. clubs. <laughs> so I really relate to this, this blackout feeling. And actually yeah. the other day, I don't know if you have this, but I don't know why I was trying to recall a binge. I think I was asked a question on a show too. And I, it's like, I can't even remember because some of the worst ones, like, it's like, I remember the first food I grabbed and mm-hmm. then I remember the last. And then I remember crying and hating myself. But in terms of like the purging, so just because I'm so interested with the way that eating disorders manifest themselves for different people. You know, you said yours was a control thing. Mine was very image-based. Like I was super stressed that I wanted to lose weight. So then I restricted, but then I was so hungry and I was a D1 athlete and I was anxious that I ate it all at night. So was there an image portion related to yours? I think that it's, uh, it's not an either or type of thing. It's like, a in therapy, you like talk about yes. And, or like whatever, it's like, a you can have both. And so, uh, I think initially for me, it was, it was fueled by body image issues and me just wanting to be accepted by the opposite sex. I think there was a major aversion in my household to like being out of shape or being like, Mm. and like nobody's fault. It's just like, you're an athlete. If you're skinny, you're good. If you're not skinny, you're not good type of thing. And, uh, you know, I was never a D1 athlete, but I was a strength and conditioning coach in college. My entire life was centered around physical fitness, but through my eating disorder, I like had this incredible depression and all these insane things that were a function of this. And I, I, this is kind of like talking around your question, but I think just like voicing this as like a person who looks the way that I do and like like talk the way that I do and have a profession that I do and health and fitness and just being vocal about the fact that like I struggle with this thing too. You as an athlete struggle with binge eating disorder and, and, and whatever else that entailed. Like, I think it's so important that we're having these conversations and just sharing our story. Cause if you help one person, then we win. Well, yes, because people look at our bodies and think healthy and I'm sure people looked at your body and thought healthy for a long time. And like, that's the problem weirdly enough, I probably looked better (laughs) in the heat of like some of my most extreme bulimic episodes. And like, to me, I felt terrible, like not only physically, but mentally, I felt emotionally, I felt terrible in those moments, but outwardly, I probably looked as good or better than I've ever looked removed from those experiences. So yes, there's a part of body dysmorphia or like feeling unworthy, uh, for me initially, but then accidentally, I think I just kind of walked myself into this thing where uh, either abstaining from or over indulging in food became like a, like I said, a control thing. It became like a safety blanket. Like, oh my God, I can't control any other aspect of my life except for this one. Mm -hmm. And if I overdo it, I kind of get to like dissociate detach from like what might be bothering me and like maybe a stressful relationship with a parent or sibling or like a thing that's going on at school that I don't know how to vocalize uh, because like feelings weren't a thing in my house growing up and so like Mm. I never learned how to like describe the experience that I was having or like felt comfortable sharing anything really and then you know I leave that structure and go into the military where it's like much the same 
uh, or it's not outwardly like they're no one's like, oh my God, you can't seek help or you can't talk to anybody about what's going on. But it, it fuels the rub some dirt in it mentality, like no excuses mentality. Yeah. And especially like, you know, as an army officer, uh, combat arms, I was an artillery officer. It's like, you don't have the luxury to focus on the things that are wrong because there's so many other things that are higher priority. And it's like, I'm like, okay, I'm a good, I'll be a good soldier and I won't say a word and I'll just like eat it. And then like, we'll deal with it later. And that's like a recipe for disaster for everybody. <laughs> so throughout all this, obviously there's this huge stigma with male eating disorders specifically, or I'm sure you had been in situations in your life where the conversation was being had just for women. And then that has to have some component of making you feel like not only do you have this problem, that's this dark secret for you, but you also feel like you shouldn't be having it if you're a quote unquote true man. For me, I never saw it as a gender specific thing. Maybe I was too uh, focused or like too in the weeds of my own experience, but I, I never thought like, Oh my God, this is a female problem. Like, Oh my God, like I'm a guy and I'm, I'm this like big athletic got like, why am I having this problem? I never saw it that way until after the fact, until like talking about it openly, people were like, Oh, you feel like the same question that you just asked. Oh my God. Like, how did you feel as a man experiencing this? I never felt that way. I never saw it. I saw it as like a human issue, not a male or female issue. And so That's good. And, and, you know, everyone's struggle is different. I had on a guest who is gay. He's amazing. And his coming out story, he said was great. He said, my parents embraced me. I had no problems. And he goes, and sometimes I feel invalid in the fact that I don't have this horrible coming out story that other gay men do. So, you know, stories like that just go to show that it's okay if your experience is different. For me and my experience, it was like, I, I had the awareness to understand that like, this is probably not the most optimal thing for me as a, an athlete, as a soldier, as like a functioning member of society, like being anorexic or like being bulimic or like suffering from a binge eating tendency. Like it doesn't add any value to life. And it only makes the stressors that I'm already experiencing in my life just amplified a million percent. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, for me, I was able to work through my anorexia with a, with a, coach, like a a strength coach that like helped me understand what was valuable in terms of like sports performance. That's what I was after. I was like, okay, I need to be like the best at my sport. And so we were able to like navigate that thing, but we never dealt with the core issue. And like, ultimately it turned into this, like, okay, I have an issue with my body, have an issue with uh, the way that I'm feeling at home. We never touched that. And so later when I was in school and I go to the military academy for school and it's like inherently stressful a stressor that i'd never anticipated didn't know how to handle i didn't deal with the root cause until like it's coming back up just in a different form in in binge eating binge eating turns into bulimia and then i deal with it again on my own where i just like i'm proactive and and i and i find solutions to problems and so i'm like okay well i'll just be extremely regimented in how i and how i consume food i'll be i'll diet like to the t everything will be perfect uh and I made a game out of it. I just have a quick question. So this is obviously yeah. happening for many years. Yeah. Was anyone in on this? Like, would your friends have been like, Ben's obsessed with nutrition and food or yeah. were you secretive? Yes. No, no. They knew about the obsession. I think the only person that knew about me being bulimic was probably my sister. And I think my mom and dad probably, my Had mom suspicions. and dad, pro- yeah, I mean, there's like telltale signs, like you leave you eat like a massive amount of food and then you're gone for like an hour. Like where did Ben go? Like, you know, that type of thing. 
but uh my sister definitely knew and then there's a i have a couple close friends that i like share these types of things with but then weirdly enough after i left the military i started coaching nutrition and i had a couple female clients that were experiencing experiencing something similar and it took that coaching experience for me to be like oh i can share the thing that i went through that's very similar to what they're experiencing right now and maybe they'll like connect with me and like my whole life i've just like been yearning for some sort of connection and so for me, this like coaching thing that I do now is this opportunity to connect. And it just happens to be through this vehicle of like either nutrition or, or fitness coaching or whatever it is. But I think I did a really good job of hiding it. Uh, that almost became a game in and of itself. It's like everything, I, everything in my life like turns into a game, like whether it's being overly meticulous with your food or like how much can you binge eat this time before it's too much? You know, I'm sure you've mm-hmm. dealt with that. Right. But, uh, right. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like there's so many aspects to what causes and then what allows you to continue uh, eating in that way or not eating in that way. Uh, What I was going to say before that was like after, so anorexia was, I'll do an air quotes, like fixed, or I was able to move into recovery from anorexia through fitness. And then uh, the army was inherently stressful. It forced me into a position where like binge eating became an option for me, a viable option to deal with the stress to exert some sort of control over my life and then binge purge that cycle back and forth. And it was like intermittent. I mean, nobody's bulimic every day for 10 years and some are, but like personally I wasn't, but there'd be episodes, phases of this. And I found that in times of high stress, they would start to come back. And then in times of low stress, I might just start my own. I would impose my own stress by like making bulimia the stressor and Interesting. Like your intelligence and your awareness of like how you're describing your past problems and needs and wants fascinates me. And I'm also like a therapy junkie. Yes. Yes. Isn't it the best though, when you like realize what you're seeking and what triggers you, you can, because let's be honest with food, or at least with binging, I thought that was the answer. Like that was going to give me like, literally you're filling yourself with food, but you're empty inside. And then it takes doing that work to find out what you were really seeking. So, and I want to, obviously we're going to dive into your recovery, but I did want to ask you when you left the military, that was because of a back injury, correct? So a number of factors, I'll again, do a thing where I like start at the beginning and so the reason, the reason I joined (laughs) the army, you're the best to interview. (laughs) I got you. The reason I joined the military was ego driven. I needed to prove somebody wrong. I wanted to like be a soldier and like do a cool thing. I quickly realized that the thing I loved most about the army was the connection with the soldier. And so like, as a leader, you get soldiers that are your subordinates, your peers, your superiors are also soldiers. I love, I love people. I love the thing I love is people. As you progress through any like corporate structured organization or bureaucratic organization with a rank structure, as you grow in rank and responsibility, your ability to impact the lowest level soldier diminishes over time. And so uh, the thing that I love most is that, and I saw the writing on the wall. It's like, Ben, if you continue down this path, then shortly you won't be able to do the thing that you love doing. And like the people that progress in that organization either like change their mindset and realize that there's a bigger picture and they can function in that, or they're just sad about the fact that they can't do the thing that they love to do. And so it was that paired with a number of different factors. I was just generally unhappy. I suffered a a back injury. I ended up hurting my low back 
and it was all these fights. I was 26 years old. I was like, you know what? I should probably like initiate movement out of the military. It's like, it's time. Um, I had started dating a girl that I was very into. And I was like, you know what? She, she won't want me to be an army officer if we're ever going to pursue some sort of like long-term relationship. Over the course of the next two years, I made my transition out and I thought I was done with the eating disorder stuff. And I thought my transition was going to be very seamless. And I thought, oh my God, I've done all these really cool things in the army. My resume is great in my mind. And all my friends who have gotten out, they've had a really easy transition. This is going to be super easy for me as well. And that was like the dumbest assumption I've ever made in my life. It was the most trying time I've ever had, nearly killed me. And my eating disorder came back. And that was the impetus that paired with this insane depression that I went through. And they go hand in hand for most people. That was the impetus for me to get into therapy. I'm so thankful that all of it happened because now I get to sit here and like talk about it for other people to like hear and maybe like connect with. We're going to take one quick break today so I can tell you about today's sponsor, Ned. Now, if you're like me, you have some body soreness or lingering aches and pains. Most of mine are from my glory days as an athlete. I feel like I'm forever going to have some back pain here and there. But fortunately, I have Ned's hemp-infused body butter for pain relief, which has been so amazing. It is a CBD lotion that revives your skin and supports pain relief with all natural ingredients that help stimulate blood flow. It has a yummy yet not overpowering scent because sometimes when it's too scenty, it's too much, but this one is just perfect and it absorbs into the skin quickly. Now look, CBD has become extremely popular in the past years, making it hard to navigate and choose the right company and the best products. But that's where Ned comes in. They produce the highest quality, full spectrum CBD extracted from organically grown hemp plants, all sourced from an independent farm in Colorado. And you can double check all of this right on the Ned website where they share third-party lab reports, who farms their products, and their extraction process. CBD can hugely benefit as a sleep aid, as an anti-inflammatory, a natural pain reliever, and as a rich source of antioxidants. If you want to check out Ned and try their CBD products for yourself, we have a very special offer for the RealPod squad. So you can go to helloned.com slash RealPod or enter code RealPod at checkout for 15% off your first time order and 20% total off your first subscription order plus free shipping. That's helloned.com, H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash RealPod. R-E-A-L-P-O-D to get 15% off your first one-time order or 20% total off your first subscription order plus free shipping. The other day, someone uh, messaged me and asked me something about how to describe my depressed state. And I honestly couldn't think of the words. Do you have words to describe what your depression was like? Or or similarly, is it just inexplainable? So I think through therapy, I've learned to like describe it, but I have like phases of like the depression or whatever, but you know, that like hundred yard stare where like, maybe you experience something that's like inherently stressful or like, you're like present, your body is here, but your brain is somewhere else. When I'm experiencing something that's like incredibly strong or like the gravity of that episode is like really great. I feel as if I can't do anything. Like there's, I talk about it like, uh, like I'm wearing a hat and underneath the hat is like a thunderstorm and I can't see out of the thunderstorm. It's like, everything is right here. It's on top of me. I describe it in therapy. Like there's an anvil on my chest, but I, even if I wanted to do anything, I like physically wouldn't be able to do it. And I'm trying right now to describe it. And it's 
bullshit. I can't, I can't tell you, I can't describe it. Right. Uh, I can, I can recall the feeling, but it is so weird how it's like you, you can't put were a perfect description to this state. No, I feel I'm heavy. I'm slow. Nothing matters. There's something there, but I don't know what it is. And like, that's the, that's when I know that there's an issue. And we can talk about this now or later or whatever, but I I talk about being in recovery, not recovered from any of those things. Uh, Like I would be lying if I said that not like literally every day, there's a a feeling of like that experience. There's like a feeling of like, oh my God, I could like, today could be the day that I relapse into like some sort of eating disorder thing. Or like today is the day that like, I'm going to be depressed. But having awareness centered around my work in therapy and knowing how to like recognize and then move through those feelings is, has been the greatest gift that I've ever given myself. I'm, I'm so incredibly thankful. I don't know if I can talk about it. My therapist, she's in Beverly Hills. She is. You do then you're giving out work. every location after this comes out you're gonna have like piles of girls at the therapist at the air one <laughs> i'm i'm irrelevant so that's the beauty in this is i'm irrelevant now at this point i'm just like a normal dude so uh also like fuck if you see me out in public like say hello i'm just like a oh normal, my god like, I, i'm just i like love a that <laughs> i love yeah. that okay if you're not concerned i'm just reminding you i'm the same i'm the same ben the same Ben before, like nobody gave a shit about me before. And like, they shouldn't now either, you know, like yeah, that's, that's gotta, that's gotta be weird. How do you rationalize that? Like, do you have to scan obviously if people like their reasoning for wanting to get close to you, is it been yeah. harder to meet people? Sure. I'm like also like not super interested in it. Like I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of really, I have a lot of really great friends. Everything I have in my life, I like, and this is going to be hokey and very LA of me. And we should probably like do a green juice as I talk about this, but like (laughs) all the stuff that I have in my life right now, I manifested in some weird way. Like I've spoken all of this into existence and like everything worked out the way that it should have. I have a core group of friends that I love dearly and, uh, I don't need any (laughs) more. Like, of course I want, I want more beautiful synergistic relationships in my life if they present themselves to me, but like, you're not seeking. No. And, and, and like, what's for me is for me. And like, I'm going to exist in my like most authentic way and my most, as my most authentic self. And like, if something stays and sticks around, then like, I welcome that. But uh, to answer your question, I'm generally cautious just in general with people. Uh, And so it hasn't been a big, it hasn't been like a really big thing for me. I get overwhelmed very easily. And so this is actually funny. It took me like eight months to reply to your message or like even see your message. <laughs> I don't look at, I don't look at my DMS. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't look, I don't look at the requests. I to the thousand hundreds of thousands of people that have messaged me and are pissed that I don't look at those. I don't look at those. Yeah. I, have I, to, I set up, I set up a boundary. I like guess a boundary. I don't, I, I don't know. Like I can't. Yeah. And especially given the nature of, of you could imagine the subject matter that I discussed publicly the content in those DMs is, is probably different than most. And so I can't emotionally take that on. Yeah. I a hundred percent relate to that. Speaking of just your brilliance, when it comes to evaluating and looking back at everything you've been through, what was the turning point with your recovery and the, you know, coming back from the depression and the suicide attempt and the eating disorder? Like what was your first real step towards change? Uh, I put myself in a community where I felt unconditionally loved. And I don't think I'd ever had that in my life. 
have a beautiful family. Growing up, I got everything I ever needed or wanted materially, but I always was left wanting emotionally. And I didn't have the tools or ability to describe what I needed. So it's like my fault, partly. It's nobody's fault. But like, yeah, I know na- I know now that when it, I needed it most, I didn't have the emotional support that I needed. I think my ability to discern where to put my energy and where not to put my energy as an adult, as like a new adult in the world post-military, it took a lot of like hardship, but I found a community that aligns with my values, that cares deeply about the things that I care deeply about and also cares deeply about me and I about them in turn. And so it's their support that's like helped me more than anything else. Is that community your current friend group? Yeah. So uh, the gym that I coach at in Venice and West Hollywood is called Deuce Gym. We have Deuce Backlot in West Hollywood. And then my business that I run called Bodybuilding Club is a not affiliated with those brands, but it's a, it is a uh, product of that environment. And so uh, the people that I spend 100% of my time with are the people that I should be spending 100% of my time with. And I know that and I can recognize that. I love the people that I'm with and I'm like in love with what I've grown here. I want to connect some dots because I know when you were in your darkest times, you've mentioned that you felt like you were a burden. You felt like you didn't have anyone to listen to you. I know your sister was there for you. So what, how did you get this group of people that unconditionally loved you? Did that take time? Did you just have to realize it? How does one find this group? Yeah. So it's an insane story. I'm deployed in Afghanistan. I'm in a location that like doesn't really have the gym setup that I'm after. Like there's, there's things that we need. And I was like, holy shit, we could make our own stones here. So I'll find the mold somewhere. We'll make our own, we'll pour concrete. We'll make our own stones. And in the process of looking up these molds, I come across this guy named Logan Galbrick. He owns Deuce Gym. And uh, I start reading it. He writes a blog every single day. If like the last eight years, he's written a blog every day. It's insane. And I just started reading everything he'd ever put out. I listened to all of this content that he'd been on podcasts. We're just starting to be a thing. I listened to all these podcasts. I get back from this deployment and I hear him speaking about a book that he's interested in writing or he's in the process of writing. The book is now called Going Right. It's been published for about two years. It's a bestseller on developmental psychology. It's just insane. But uh, so I like start following this guy and I'm like, oh my God, everything he's saying it just resonates with me on such a deep level. Um, a lot of what he talks about is about this thing called skill transfer, where it's like you're a high performer in one field, like you as a division one athlete, you like succeed there and your experience, whether it was successful or not provides the opportunity for you to be successful, not because of the task at hand, but because of the work that you put in there, you could be successful anywhere else. Like you worked really hard as an athlete. So you could work really hard at, at this job or at the other job or any other thing that you try. Love that. And so it resonated with me a lot because I was concerned about my ability to continue as a soldier, but I knew I had tried really hard and worked and done like a lot of really deep work there. And so I was like, well, shit, I'll just be successful in another thing. And uh, so fast forward a couple more years, I'm getting out of the army. I reach out to him and I'm like, yo, I don't know what I'm asking for. If it's like a cup of coffee, a handshake, a hug, a job, I don't know. I just need to talk to you. And he was like, yeah, dude, when you get out here, let me know. Let's like do coffee. And so fast forward a couple more months, we schedule a coffee. I had ended my relationship with that girl that I thought I was going to be with forever. I'd moved across the country. I was all alone. I took a job that I hated. Uh, 
I quit that job that I hated. I was like, what do I do? I'm in the middle of the most insane depression of my entire life. And I ended up not being able to meet with him. I had to reschedule. And he basically told me to get fucked. And he was like, I don't take these one-off meetings with people that I don't know. Um, What's hilarious is that's not how he operates. Like he's my best friend now, which is like, I'm ruining the story, but uh, (laughs) he doesn't, he doesn't act that way. He doesn't respond that way to people. He is the most cordial and courteous and beautiful communicator. And he basically told me to like F off. And so I'm like, holy shit, that's insane. So like this dream of like potentially like I, I describe him as like apprentice or something. Right. I, I describe it like through therapy, I describe it him. He was like representing salvation or like some sort of rescue from this life that I was like very upset with. And so when that, that opportunity dissolved uh, a couple of weeks later, I like tried to take my own life and not because of that, but because of a series of, of things. And um, two months after the fact, so it's March now, he has a developmental leadership like summit or exercise here in LA. And I buy a ticket and I show up and I participate. I join his gym the next day. I become a coach at his gym uh, COVID happens. We start a company together. I move into his house. I live with him a year. Wait, 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 but rewind. You told him <laughs> at the event, like, Hey, I'm the dude. <laughs> yeah, no, he knew, he knew. I mean, he knew, and we had like an experience there and he walked up and he said, you know, I'm really, I'm really thankful that you're here. That was like the start of our relationship, March of 2019. And then, uh, through becoming a member of the community of the gym, Got it. He becomes my best friend. His best friends become my other best friends. And now this group of people uh, are my family. And and also my younger sister, who I never had a real relationship with growing up. Uh, I always saw her as immature and uh, emotionally volatile and like all these things. I just wasn't in touch with my own emotions. So I like couldn't understand how she might have feelings or things like that. Um, she's since moved to LA. And so for the last two years, we've like built the most incredible friendship and she's the best person I've ever met, but she's here. My friends are my family. And like, I'm now, I'm like a baby deer, like just stepping into like some weird uh, pseudo adulthood thing. And so, um, yeah, those people saved my life and allowed me to feel safe and not have to turn to food or, any other means to like detach from my reality, which is cool. I, I love that story. Thanks for giving the background. Honestly, though, <laughs> because, be, but, but because it's like persistence and like seeking out people that inspire yeah. you and it didn't work out the first time, but then you kept trying and then you finally found something and like, yeah. thank God you're still here because I'm stubborn you up- as hell. I'm yeah. <laughs> Had you have left this beautiful earth, you would have not found your community. And I think that's hopeful for people who, you know, maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's tomorrow. Like you always got to stick around for tomorrow. Um, so thanks for sharing. No, I, I think that's a special story. And you guys must Thank laugh you. about that now. We do. He's like, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. How did I, how, why did I send you that message? I'm like, I don't know, dude, you're having a bad day. <laughs> but I, li- I lived in his house for a year and he's like, my closest friend, he knows more about me than anyone else. And like, it's so wild that that's the case, but like, it was supposed to be that way. My theme, when I like talk about whether it's disordered eating or like mental health or depression or whatever it is, uh, there's two things that I talk about and, and, 
and I'm sure that you've heard this in some capacity, but like one of them is like, there's so much help available. And like my biggest issue was like one that I was afraid to burden people with my problems. The people that are there to help you don't see you as a burden. And I could like never reconcile that inside my head. And then secondly, like if you don't know where to look, you need to like ask, you need to like seek it out. You need to like be proactive in this effort and like without searching, no one's going to come save you. And so, uh, I challenge everyone that may be like going through a thing or know someone that's going through some sort of experience that might require outside help, like push them or yourself in the direction of someone who might be able to assist you in finding that help. Uh, and then the last thing that I say, and this is something that I've just now started to talk about, but similar to health and fitness is that you don't have to let it get to such a dire position. Like you don't have to be in your bathroom, like, taking pills and like, or like have a gun in your hand to like, that's the time to seek help. It's like when the heart doctor's like, you have uh congenital heart disease or whatever, like now is the time to take care of yourself. No, like 20 years before was the time to take care of yourself. And it's the same with mental health. Like do it now, even if you don't see an issue, like go to therapy, talk to somebody about your thing before it becomes an issue. Yes. You don't have to hit rock bottom. Yeah. To have a ticket to to be valid, to, to do these things. I totally agree, Ben. When it comes to food now, what keeps you on track? Like how do you reconcile triggers when they come up? What's your approach to food? I'm an intuitive eater. I don't know if you've heard of that philosophy and you incorporate that, but how do you approach it? So I would intuitive eating for sure. Um, I go Love through it. phases. I go through, <laughs> I go through bouts. I go through bouts of tracking my macros because I, I really like that. Um, I do well with a lot of structure. I just know that about myself. Uh, and so sometimes when I feel as if similar to binge eating or anorexia or whatever it is, uh, tracking affords me an opportunity to exert control over something. I have awareness around it and I get like so much kickback from the eating disorder community about this. Like, oh my God, tracking is going to throw people into some sort of like obsessive fit. Maybe, but maybe it won't. Yeah, I I agree. And I honestly love this perspective because you know what I can compare it to? So I don't weigh myself. I cannot step on a scale. Like that to me would just be end game. And so I'm viciously adamant about not doing that the same way you need to be adamant about what you keep in place to consume the amount of calories you need to be healthy. So I, I, I think everyone's thing is their own and no one can tell you how you can recover. It's all about experimenting. And so this also gets such a bad rap, but recovery is not linear. And so yeah, there's a bit of experimentation there that uh, is required to find out what works best for you. If you never try a new thing, then you'll never know. For me, Intermittent fasting was the best thing that I ever did for my eating disorder recovery. Interesting. And I see, See, you're you're starting to lose me. You're starting to lose me. Your your brain exploded. (laughs) Sorry, I should be more stoic as an interviewer. (laughs) Your brain brain just exploded inside of your head. I'm curious. I'm open. Tell tell me, tell me, explain. I want want to cut you off. So, so suffering from binge eating disorder, I understand that intermittent fasting often fuels a binge eating disorder, but I had this incredible freedom, but intermittent fasting allowed me the opportunity to see foods as not good or bad or binge inducing or trigger foods, but as just food. And so I was able to eat all of the the entire gamut of foods and understand that my body weight can be controlled. 
my performance in the gym could still be as high as ever. And so it worked really well for me. I would never, ever, 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 ever tell a person suffering from binge eating disorder to start with intermittent fasting because it definitely leads to the thing that we're already suffering from. But it worked for me. And I I I want to apologize. I I want to, I'm sorry that I'm really, I'm sorry because I know how protective I am over my current relationship with food. And I am so happy that you have found a relationship with you that works for you. Also, I take nothing personally. So like, it's fine. The thing that scares me most is breakfast. That's, that's also why I really liked the intermittent fasting protocol is because I felt so great about not having to eat breakfast that like, if I was able to like successfully complete my morning or even push my window of not eating food till later in the day, I had such a, a sense of accomplishment around that. And I've realized as I move farther and farther into my journey or into my recovery or whatever you want to call it, that like there are opportunities to eat before noon and like, you'll be just okay. And everything's wonderful and you don't have to worry about it. And so for the last like two months, I've been implementing breakfast and I've missed days for sure, but like I've been doing it more regularly and I feel really great about it. And it's like a small little win. I'm currently tracking my calories and macros because I like to do that right now, but like I am generally more of an intuitive eater. And I, I, I follow a thing. I have these, so with my clients that I coach, I have a couple different styles of, of coaching. I was going to say, I'm sure you have an extra eye for making sure it's working for them because of your experience. You're not like that nutritionist who's going to be like no. 1200 calories. Bye. <laughs> also, I would never do, also, I would never do that. I would never, ever do that. There are no absolutes in this world, but like I have a couple non-negotiables that I like, if you want me to prescribe you a certain thing that I'm not comfortable with, then like, I'm not your coach. And that's like totally fine with me. My goal is to provide everyone that I work with a space. And like, I even do this through my social media now, but I try and like promote the fact that like, this is a space for you to increase your security with all foods and all opportunities to eat. It's like, no food is bad. The right volume of the right types of foods is most optimal, but there's a million different things in between there. So I love that I get the opportunity to work with people who are scared. And like scared is the word that I use for myself. Like I said, I was scared of breakfast or whatever, but people that are scared of doing a thing or trying a new thing and they try that and they're like, oh shit, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I feel better about myself. Mm -hmm. I'm like gaining a new skill. I'm conquering a new thing. And I really enjoy that. I'm looking at the top of my fridge is got a bunch of peanut butter and tortilla chips and these pretzels and a bunch of cereal on top of it. And I'm probably going to eat all of those things today. I love that. You are so cool. I cannot. I'm just sitting here trying to think about the fact that you come from reality TV. See, I don't. That's not. The, that's also not the thing. You don't. Like, yeah, you don't. I don't even associate you with that's, it. I'm not that. I was never that. I just happened to like, I just happened to date a girl and they videotaped it. Right, right. And I think it's interesting too how you had, you'd never watched the show. I'd never watched the show. So wait, did someone submit for you? No, they reached out. Oh, got it. Oh, yeah. So you're so, and I, and you know what? That makes perfect sense because you seem like the type of guy who's like an opportunity to meet people and push, put myself in an uncomfortable situation where I could grow and learn. Sign me up. <laughs> I use it as therapy. Literally. I hadn't been on a date in almost two years. And I was frustrated in the fact that I was really comfortable in my life. My professional life gave me a sense of fulfillment. It wasn't romantic, but it was something that made me feel really good about myself. And I, to be honest with you, pursuit of a romantic relationship or even like 
the opportunity to meet someone new was like not even a thing. I wasn't even interested. And there's like a number of reasons for that, like with anything. But I had this, I had this incredible group of friends and they're like, no, dude, you're too comfortable. And you're like a weirdo. Like go do that. That'll be fun. And so I went and did it. You're not a weirdo. You're Nine. really, really so cool. Like, wow. I'm, I feel like I'm your biggest fan now. <laughs> That's cool. I appreciate it. Yeah. You're awesome. And hopefully I'll see you around Venice. Maybe I'll come, I'll bring my boyfriend. We'll come work out at your gym. We need to get our asses kicked because we don't do anything anymore. <laughs> Please do. We got one in West Hollywood too. We're all, we're open every day. It's fun. Thanks so much for taking the time, Ben, and for everything you of shared. Course. I really appreciate it. Thanks for trusting me with everything you opened up with today. And like I said, number one fan, I mean that rooting for you in all aspects. I I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week seeing behind-the-scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real.